It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Franchise Academy. And this is a place to come to learn everything about business, franchised or not. I have a special guest who's a small business uh, expert. So Kyle Griffith is with me today. And I met Kyle a couple of years back at a uh, business broker. Uh, what was it? A was it association. Meeting. association. Yeah, yeah. The association. <laughs> um, and we, uh, we hit it off and we've been kind of friendly ever since. And the thing that Kyle does, which I think is so unique, is this mergers and acquisitions. He actually helps businesses get ready to sell you know, senior owners, owners of businesses that want to get out of their business and, and retire. He helps get, get it all ready. So I got his bio here. So let me, let me do it the easy way and, uh, <laughs> and read the bio. So uh, Kyle is the managing partner for the NYBB group. And for more than 10 years, he's helped mid and uh, small and mid-sized businesses that need to either merge or act, make an acquisition of another business. Kyle really gets into and loves the HVAC businesses, trucking and distribution industries, but he has lent his experience to all sorts of people, all different sectors. That's why I want to bring him on. But more than that, he's also certified. I mean, he's a certified business intermediary. So it's a CBI, they call it. And he's also involved with the Business Broker Association, IBBA, which is, is that national now? It's, in, it's international, actually. We have members in Canada, Europe, Australia, Canada. And so, and you're the chairman of the New York Business Association, right? The Business Broker Association. Correct. New York City, correct. Well, that's cool. And of course, you're married with two beautiful daughters. <laughs> and um, you're all about sports and you're all about entrepreneurship, which is a sport in itself. It is. It is. Tell me about it. <laughs> so how, how did you get into business brokering? I mean, it, it's kind of such a small niche thing to do. How did, you, how, how did this happen? Man, I, I love what I do. I love it. And I, I just kind of fell into it. You know, we talk about entrepreneurship. So I've either started, partnered, or built other businesses. And I've made some money, lost a lot of money, <laughs> trying to recreate the wheel and do things my way, which is usually the wrong way. And uh, a colleague of mine reached out to me and said, hey, Kyle, you ever thought about selling businesses? Mm. When, I, when he mentioned that to me, my first inclination was, well, hey, I actually get a chance to learn from all these seasoned entrepreneurs and business people, how yeah. they have built their business. I'll say, wait, let me think about this. So you're telling me I'm going to get a chance to meet all these business owners face-to-face, -face, learn about how they built their company, learn about all the greatness they have done, and most importantly, learn more about their mistakes so I don't make them myself. I say, hey, you know, I'm, you know count me, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. So originally, oh. that's how I got started because I wanted to learn about different types of businesses, how to value businesses, how to grow businesses, how to build businesses, and eventually how to sell businesses. That's amazing. Yeah. Such a unique thing and such a great niche. So you had, uh, you written a little document called the 11 Deadly Mistakes Made by Sellers. Right. So this is another thing that I, I didn't write it. My partner wrote it, but this is another thing. I didn't want to recreate the wheel. 
they've been in, when I first started with the company uh, about 10 years ago, they already started six years prior. We've been in business for about 16 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, my partner, Anthony, came with these 11 mistakes. I was like, hey, let's just roll with it. We don't need to you know, recreate it. So we, you know, we, we, we learn from our mistakes and want to build upon it. And we want to use our experience and lend that to our sellers. But sometimes you still have to learn the hard way, right, Tom? It's, it's like, right. You have kids, right? So sometimes you tell them, hey, don't do that. And they just need to do it to learn for themselves what not to do. So, so right. <laughs> and Anthony himself is just a wealth of knowledge, just so much experience and so, such a humble individual. He's such a great guy. Um, yeah. And, and uh, Tony over there too. Great, you know, just a great group of folks to work with. And, you know, I've met them all over at, at the, at the association meeting. Um, <laughs> you got associated. Officially. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was, uh, it felt a little bit like being like in a room with the mafia, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. That's, that's what I felt when I, when I, when I came in, you know, I was probably, you know, probably the only person at that time I was under 40, probably the only person under 40 and African-American is like, Hey, I'm in, a, in the right room here. Yeah. You right. Know? Um, now, <laughs> um, you know, it, it is an uh, industry that is served by mostly folks that have been there, done that, right? So, thirty in your thirties, you're going to tell someone sixty uh, in their sixty years plus that have had business their business for the past thirty years how to do it. Maybe, maybe not. So, most people in my space, they've either became a, an intermediary by either owning their own business. And um, they had some problems. They're trying to sell it. They're trying to, you know, sell their business, and they had some problems selling it. And some, in some cases, the broker actually screwed up. So, like, hey, I could probably do a better job than a broker. I might as well try to sell it myself. Did a great job selling it. And you know, you know what? I, I could probably have a new career doing this. That's actually how my partner Anthony started. He had about three Carvel franchises, which is in your, <laughs> yeah. if, if, if you know that story, he actually sold his Carvels. He's a, a recovering CPA. Um, sold his Carville franchises and, and now he helps other, you know, people sell their business. Well, Carvel ice cream is, uh, you know, it's a legacy brand here in the Northeast, but mm-hmm. surprisingly as it is a franchise nationally and actually internationally, they don't have a great name, uh, brand name in, uh, outside of like the Northeast or the New York area for that matter. But, uh, mm-hmm. they've been around, I don't know, Carvel ice cream, Tom Carvel, I think since like the 1940s, perhaps. Yeah been around a long, long time. Yeah. So, yes, interesting. So, I have to say, I, I love your, your shirt and, and your jacket. And uh, <laughs> you, you look, you know, spot on, man. You look like, uh, the, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street. So. Oh, man, thanks. You know, you, you know uh, my, my mom is in fashion and, you know, I got my, my I, I learned one thing from my, my, my dad. My dad is always pretty much well-dressed. And, um, you know, you have to present yourself, so. You know, I'm always, you know, just like you, I mean, you were talking about it earlier. I mean, you always have, you know, some really nice, unique shirts. So I, I love your, your, your choice of clothing there. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank <laughs> you. And, and, and there's a story behind the clothing too. You know, uh-huh. it's like you have your story of your mom and your dad. And, and my, my dad was always a, sh- a shop dresser too. But for me, it was, it was a whole different story because I used to be a subway conductor uh, in the New York city subway, mm-hmm. uh, opening and closing the doors and making announcements and one day there was an old timer there who said, hey, kid, this is a great job because you'll always have a shirt on your back. Mm-hmm. That it'll never be a silk shirt, but you'll always have a shirt. Right. And right. I, <laughs> I, I was like, wait a second. That sounds like mediocrity to me. Yeah. Uh, and, and I wanted to wear a silk shirt. I looked around and I realized that 
business owners are wearing silk shirts, but transit workers were not. And, you mm-hmm. know, to use that metaphor. Right. And I, not that there's anything wrong with it, but I wanted to have a silk shirt. And I figured, hey, I got to be a business owner. But how to do that, I don't know, because I'm a government worker. I don't know anything about business. My dad was a police officer. I come from that kind of blue collar family. But I realized a franchise is a business with training wheels, and that's what I needed. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I got into franchising. I quit after 13 years, bought a franchise, built it, sold it, made a ton of money. Bought a second one, crashed it, lost all the money, <laughs> came back, made money. Yeah. And, and you know how that story goes. But but it's all about the ability and, and the choice we have in this country to wear a silk shirt if you want to. But you have to right. work for it. That's the right. Thing. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I, I've, I've lost a tie lately. I've been wearing less ties. I usually have been, I've been full student tie. I would say in the past few months or so, I've been more relaxed these days, you know, let, you know, let loose and relax without the tie. Sometimes each outfit has its, its place too, you know, if you're going to be walking into a, a, a company and if it's more of a, a blue collar type business, you have to kind of, you know, dress down a little bit. And if you're going to be walking to, you know, it depends on the environment yeah. that you're in, but I'm comfortable with blazer shirt. That's, cool. <laughs> That's great. I was just sharing with my son, you know, not that this is a fashion show, but I think I it's interesting to note that, you know, men, if you look at the old movies and old footage of whatever, men always wore hats. And when men, you know what made men stop wearing hats is in 1960, JFK, John, John F. Kennedy, inaug- presidential inauguration in 1960, mm-hmm. he was the first president to not wear a top hat at his inauguration. That signaled the decline of wearing hats in America. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Then the tie thing, you know, I guess it was mid eighties, late eighties companies started doing kind of dress down Friday. Yeah. That you could wear a suit without a tie. And it never really took hold until the company IBM adopted no ties on Fridays. Once that happened, it was basically the end of ties. <laughs> um, and it's really, uh, they're kind of making a comeback now as everything always does, everything is secular. But it's interesting to kind of think about that, how kind of the world evolves. And now, you know, the whole tech world, they embrace no ties. They embrace wearing shorts and sandals to work. Right, right. Which I don't approve of, but that's just me. Unless you work from home. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so we're talking about the, the 11 deadly mistakes that owners make. What do you see as the most common mistake out there? Unrealistic expectations. You know, you're just talking about tech and, you know, you hear, if you watch the news, you'd be fooled, right? You hear about companies selling for obscene amounts of money and everyone thinks their company's worth 10 times more than what it's worth, right? right? You know, and most sales are privately done. No one really knows what the buyer paid and what a seller sold their business for. For the most part, it's not like you're selling a house. You can look in the MLS. You can see the history of what the what the what the, what the house had sold for. So it's a, it's you know it's a two different worlds, you know. And it's I really feel for business owners because most times they started a business or they bought it, and you know they're burnt out. They're looking to retire, and most of their investments is in the business, right? Their whole retirement plan is actually dependent upon this business selling or whatever the case may be. So it is a very tough situation to be in, right? You want to realize all of the sweat, blood, sweat, and tears you've put into the business. At the same time, it's when you work what someone's willing to pay for it. 
So we help give them a reality check as when it comes to the value of the, of the company. So I, I would say not just unrealistic expectation of the price, but everything else. So, you know, you're a broker, right? You sell businesses, right? So all I got to do is, you know, you give me all the buyers, you know, you have probably a hundred buyers. You can come and buy, your, buy my company and that's it. So there's a, also an unrealistic expectation about how long it takes to sell, what's, what's involved in the sale, and then all the due diligence. I mean, so it's, I would say out of everything else, I would say unrealistic expectations on behalf of the seller is the, the biggest mistake apart from, you know, the other, the other mistakes that, that, that come up along the way. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, the business is, is a lot like a house. Everybody thinks that their house is worth more than it really is. Yeah. And there's a market value to a house and there's comps and there's a little bit exactly. But exactly. But in, in our world, there, there's nothing like that. Right. But is there a rule of thumb in, in your opinion about how much somebody could get for a business? So it, it really depends. So the, the buyers, I mean, Tom, I mean, you sell franchises, right? So your, your buyers, you know, they know what they want. They, they usually buy, they're buying a cash flow. It's not a hobby. It's a business. The business has to make money. So it's all predicated on, on the cash flow, how much income the business generates. Now, the more income the business generates, there's usually less of those. <laughs> right. And the less income it generates is usually more of them for different reasons, how it's run, yada, yada. So chances are, if you're buying a business with significant amount of revenues, you're going to pay a higher price for it. So the multiple varies depending on the income. Now, income is not obviously the only factor. There's also multitude of other factors. There could be some intellectual property. There could also be some intangible aspects to the business. Uh, we are seeing now a lot of buyers looking for skilled labor, right? We know market right now that jobs are available. People are getting, you know, nice paid jobs. And there's a, a huge gap in the skilled workforce, not only in healthcare, but also in in all of the specialty trades, HVAC, plumbing, electrical, and so on. And we are seeing companies looking to, to make acquisitions just to retain key management and retain skilled workforce. So that's another huge aspect that ties into the value and then also depends on how many of businesses like yours are available. So if there were 10 companies like yours, all with the same earnings per year, what is going to differentiate you from those other companies? Because the buyer is just like, I don't want to ask you bought your last car, but you probably went to all the dealerships right? You, you would use pricing around, right? So you probably have a set color, set type of car, make, model, yada, yada. Yeah. But you're checking online like me. I bought one of my cars in Ohio and I bought my other car in Pennsylvania. You know, oh. I, 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 I shopped around. So buyers are doing the same thing. They're shopping around. So what's going to differentiate your business from another business? So the, the multiple has a lot, is tied in not just the financial value, but the other than tangibles and what an actual, the current market climate as well. Oh, wow. So, you know, I, and I didn't realize that. So a lot of people feel like it's just a straight, you know, three times EBITDA, as they say. But you're saying there's so many more variables involved. With yeah, this, so. Not just a straight EBITDA. <laughs> so when I got my certification from the International Business Broker Association, we had to take a class on recasting, right? It was like a three-day class. I went all the way to Vegas to take the class. Wow. But after three days of all these computations and running numbers and, you know, doing all this valuation work, 
you know, a lot of, you know, in-depth stuff. <laughs> At the end of the class, the instructor said, forget all what I told you, right? This is historical sales of businesses that I have, you know, in my database over the past 10 years. And the average business sells for between two and a half to three times multiple. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, okay, so what, what I'm here for the last three years, three, three days for. So there is a, a rule of thumb, but I, I want to go back to the real estate model. You can find a three-bedroom, two-bad house, and you can run a comp. There's no business like yours. Every business is unique. So even though the rule of thumb may be, let's say, three times earnings, what can we identify in your business that could actually increase that, that, that number? So do you have a long-standing lease, right? Are you, you, know, are you willing to hold a note? Um, do you have key management in place? Like, what's the terms? So it's, it's a lot, there's a lot to it. So we have to negotiate, if we are representing the seller, the factors that actually would validate the multiple and, you know, kind of hold strong to that, to, to that particular multiple. But it's, 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 it's a multitude of factors. There's no one, no one business is the same. So right. a rule of thumb for the industry may not apply um, to your business. However, with, with that being said, it is a basis. It is a benchmark that you can actually start from, to, you know, and, and work from there. So you said that it's a little bit different if the seller is willing to hold a note. Can you explain what that means for the audience? So holding a note, essentially, so if you're selling your business, whoever is buying your business is financing it from somewhere, right? They have deep pockets, they finance it themselves. Now, keep in mind, they're not going to invest all of their money, right? No one's going to put all of their eggs in one basket, right? Most likely, they're going to go to a bank, okay? You're going to leverage the bank's other people's money to buy a business. And majority of cases, they would, sometimes, majority of cases, they would request the seller to hold a note, meaning that the seller becomes the bank in a sense. So there are um, advantages and disadvantages to that. Worst case scenario is you hold a note and you never get paid. Right. <laughs> right? Best case scenario, you hold a note and you get your money out within a reasonable period of time it's agreed to upon a contract. So the same way that a bank would typically qualify a buyer, meaning do they have the necessary industry experience? So they're buying a HVAC company. Are you a HVAC contractor? Have you worked for a contractor? Are you familiar with the business? How long have you been in the business? How much capital do you have to invest? Do you own a home? Do you have equity in your home? So the, the bank is going to ask buy those same questions. And with the seller becoming a bank, you want to pre-qualify along that similar criteria as the bank would. And the, the benefit to it is that there's a huge tax implication when you're paid out in full. So by holding the note, you could actually defer a portion of those earnings so you don't have to get that, that big tax hit when you consummate the transaction, when you, when you sell the business and you get paid out. So it's, it's advantages and disadvantages, but holding the note essentially means the, the seller becomes, the, the, becomes a bank and it's quite, it's quite common. Yeah, I just, um, I want to clarify that. Um, <laughs> there's people like you and me start talking about a lot of jargon and lingo and just want to make sure everybody is on board. So what are some of the reasons why a business wouldn't sell? So let's just throw the obvious out, right? I don't want to talk about the obvious. Everyone knows the obvious. It wouldn't sell because it's not priced right, right? We kind of spoke about it you know, before. I think one of the, the biggest reasons is it won't sell because even though it's a business, it's still people, 
is a person buying another person's business. So out of all the deals we have done, by far, the reason we get the deal done or if they're not done at all is because the communication or the culture or the personalities is not a good fit. Okay. And it's not just buyer to seller company is acquiring another company. There's going to be some form of integration. So company culture is similar to ours. You know, did you grow organically like we did? You know, who's your key employee? They they want to interview, right? Some of the key management. So I, you know, one of the biggest factors is the human capital of the business, apart from the assets that the company owns, the biggest investment is actually who you hire and who you invest in as a person, who is in the seats and who's going to retain and who's going to stay with the business moving forward. So I, I think, you know, that's one of the biggest issues why deals don't get done. That's amazing. And, and I feel like the same way in franchising too, even when it's a brand new franchise, I tell people, you know, you might love the concept, you might love the service or the food or whatever, mm-hmm. but if your culture, your morals and all that do not exactly. align with the franchise company, yeah. you know, it's a non-fit. It's a no-go. So, for example, this podcast, if I didn't think Tom was a nice guy, I probably wouldn't come to the podcast. And if you didn't think I was a nice guy, you wouldn't have invited me on. So, it's, it, is a, it is a people business. It's yeah. all about relationships and connecting. Another thing is, a lot of the deals I'm working on right now, a lot of times the seller or clients will like someone that actually was just like them, <laughs> Right. So someone has similar background, similar skill sets, you know, so I'm representing a distribution company and the clients wants to, the, the high, their priority is to sell someone that actually is in the business. Now, to that point, yes, we want to find someone that is, has some background, has some experience that can take it over and run. However, what we have seen lately is a lot of family offices, a lot of sponsored groups. So these are very sharp very smart individuals that came from Ivy League schools and they've worked for, you know, Fortune 100 companies and so on. And they're tired of making money for other people. Um, they probably have worked in investment banking before and they've kind of been through the entire process. And they're not necessarily have worked in that same capacity. However, they know how to grow a business, they know how to build it. And it, right now we're seeing a trend right now. So sellers have to understand that Whoever is buying a business may not come from the same background as you are, may not have the same experience, the same knowledge. However, they're as equally as good as you may be even better in taking what you have started. Because most of us, myself and probably you included, sometimes we're in a box, right? So you're in the franchise world. You knew everything about franchises. I know everything about selling businesses, but that may not, that may not be true. Sometimes you have to step outside the box. Right. Or maybe bring someone else in the box and give you some, some ideas of what direction you should go in and give you some right. And one of our first questions is, is, why are you selling the business to begin with? Right. That's always my question. Yeah. You know, what, I have this great business. You know, a lot of people don't want to buy it, yada, yada. Well, it was so great. Why you don't keep it, make it a legacy, a family legacy business, keeping a family and so on. Um, a, lot, a lot of times, if business owners get more proactive. A lot of things you can do to um, improve the valuation of their business. And even sometimes they can hire this step out of that CEO seat, so to speak, hire someone to, to run the company. Right. And sometimes in a case like that, you can actually reap the benefit of earnings perpetually until, you know, 
<laughs> until it's that time for you, you know, right. um, as opposed to having a, a definite infinite close, you close in two years, or the, the case may be, and you're paid out over that period of time and you have a, a set amount of income, a set amount of um, money from that sale as opposed to keeping the business going for the next 10, 20 years and right. have someone running the company, you know. Okay. I mean, I, I think a lot of people, you know, build their business so it is an exit strategy, but you have to know how to make that exit. And that's what you guys specialize in, right? I mean, it's it's not just about selling and, you know, you walk out the next day. There's a whole strategy to do it correctly. Just like selling a house. There's certain things you want to do, staging and painting and, and all of that. You got to get right. it ready, right? Yeah, of course. Of course. You got to make, you know, make it look good. You know, you have yeah. to, you know, stage it. Like you say in the real estate world, you have to pretty much stage your business. Obviously, as a due diligence, you can't just put stuff in the closet and, you know, don't expect no one's going to look in the closet, right? So, <laughs> you know, things, things are going to come out. But yeah, you definitely want to want to prepare the business and make sure that you get and you're maximizing the value of, of, of your, well, what, your What's the first thing somebody should do when they're getting ready to sell? So the, the first thing they should do, so... The question you want to ask is why you sell in the first place. And so part of my role with the IBBA, we have a committee that actually surveys all of the intermediaries. It's it's about 1,200 intermediaries in our association. So we send out these surveys. And the surveys ask a multitude of questions and how long business take to sell and why people sell and so on. So on the question of why do business owners sell, close to 80% of business owners sell because they can retire. Okay, so if the, if the answer is that, hey, I'm looking to retire from my business, how much money do you need from the proceeds of that sale to fulfill your retirement goals? Right. Who's going to answer that question? Tell me. <laughs> well, the, the seller wants to say, I need all the money. <laughs> right, but he's, he needs, let's say, five, whatever the number is. So he needs to speak to his financial planner. Right. Right, he needs to speak to someone and could put together a plan, a retirement plan, and and decipher if that makes sense. So the business is going to sell for whatever the number is, a million, two million dollars, but my retirement plan, I need five million dollars. So there's like a three to four million dollar gap. So should I stay, continue working, you know, until I generate enough income where I can retire, or is the the pain of being in the business outweighs the money I can get when I actually sell the business. Sometimes spending time with your grandkids and having that lifestyle of playing golf, going fishing, doing those real fun things you used to do 20 years ago when you had a whole ball of, you know, bunch of energy. Sometimes that's, that's priceless, right? So they may consider compensating on their retirement goals as far as the, the price to live that, live their life now. However, not all business owners are that fortunate. Some actually, have the capital, so not selling for financial reasons. They have money put away; they can go and do things. But some people actually, they need, you know, all of their retirement is in their business, and they, you know, they they need the money from it. So, yeah, uh, retirement we see is not one of the number one reasons why business want to sell. So you want to start really uh, with the end in mind, right? So you now you just read my mind. <laughs> <laughs> you start with the end in mind. Yeah, I love saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's right on because you need to know what you need so you know what to ask so you can get it hopefully or do the evaluation and then do the evaluation realize that it ain't worth what you think it's worth so you're gonna have to kind of keep it or or 
you know, take a loss and, and try to find something else to supplement your retirement is, is what that amounts to. Yeah, well, let's step back for a second. Even before you started the business or bought the business, Harvey Gantz, but you bought the franchise, what's your end goal? As you, you point out, you know, start with the end in mind. So you're buying a new franchise. Is your goal is to buy multiple units? Is your goal to, to buy a franchise or resale, build it up and, and flip it? Is your goal to create uh, an asset that can be passed on to my kids? So, you know, what's, what's your goal here? Because selling a business, you don't ever want to, you know, let's be honest here, right? Let's, let's put it in a real estate world. Why, why do people sell property? You know, even look at Warren Buffett. Does he sell anything? He buys. You always want to build up your portfolio, right? You want to just have like, this accumulating assets, accumulating businesses, accumulating property. So, Sometimes you do have to sell because either there's an illness or you foresee shifts in the market. So in your industry, you, you have built the business up to a point where I personally, I don't think I could take, I can, I can grow this business anymore. I've, right. I've put all of my, you know, blood, sweat, tears into it. I need to bring um, someone else in. So you have to do the, the upfront planning of why you got in. And if you're in, What's the goal here? What's the next, right. what's the game plan? And for that, you know, you need advisors. You need to have, you know, so we work as a, as a deal team, right? Yeah. And de depending on the situation, we would bring in, whether it be an attorney, a CPA, a planner, or a consultant to help that business get in a position where they can maximize that value and enhance, enhance the business. But not all owners are ready right. to implement that. Because by the time they come to us, they're already checked out. Hey, I'm looking to sell. Can you help me sell? Um, I would love to do all these suggestions you have here, but I have a short window. Can you help me get a deal done? And, you know, we are thrown in there to help them out. They just want to get out. Absolutely. Yeah, they want to get out. So let's go to the other side of the table, the, the buyer. Yeah, so I love in, talking look, about buyers. <laughs> so I'm looking at, I, I want to buy a business. What, what should I be looking for? What, what are some of the telltale signs? Buyers, so let me just tell you for some. So even though most of my clients are sellers, that I represent about 85 to 90% of my sellers. I do speak to more buyers than sellers. I'm probably a 60 to one ratio. So during the course of my day, I'm speaking to buyers all the time. So as buyers, I can tell you what, what buyers are looking for as a buyer. What you should look for is three things. The first thing we spoke about it too earlier, which is cash flow. So you have a family to support. You know, living on the line is expensive, right? Living probably anywhere in the U.S., you know, with inflation and things are happening. So, you know, you need to generate a certain amount of earnings um, to support your family and support your lifestyle. You know, so that would be the first step. And obviously, there's processes and in, in due diligence. You can verify the, the, the financials and verify the earnings the business is generating. So that's a no-brainer, right? Two things you want to focus on as a buyer and I'm telling you from my experience, and I'm telling you from the experience of all the buyers that I speak with, one is, so you're buying a name of business. What's, what's the most popular franchise you have right now? Oh, my God. There's so many, but a fitness business, you know. Uh, fitness yeah. business. Okay. So that's a huge, huge market, right? Everybody want to look good and stay in shape, okay? Now, how many fitness businesses are there, right? Is there room for another fitness business? Right. So you want to look at the market. Right. So you're buying a fitness business. Right. You want to see, OK, you know, so that particular person who had their gym 
right? They have made, let's say, I don't want the average fitness, what the average fitness business generates in revenues on average? Well, it, you know, it's hard to say and I'd rather not go down that road. That's okay. That's fine. So let's say, the, let's, let's say the business generates, just destroying numbers out there for hypothetical reasons, a million dollars, right? And they have been at a million dollars for the past five years. So is there really any room for growth in that industry and in that business in particular? So you don't look at, is there room to scale that business? What else can you do, Mr. Buyer? You're okay. looking at a gym. What can you bring to the table to increase that gym from one to two to three million personally? And can the market support that need, right? Yeah. Is it, do you need more locations, improve subscriptions, you know, get, is all kind of, interesting gyms I'm seeing now that are doing all kind of interesting ways to exercise. So what else can you do? What's your value proposition? So bottom line revenue earnings and scalability room for growth too. The third thing is if you're reviewing opportunity, you want to minim- minimize your risk. Now, every business has risk, right? The business yeah. I'm doing now is risky. What you're doing is risky. Some are less risky than others. So what's your risk tolerance? Okay. I think the risk is a huge factor. So there's, when you look at risk, there's legal risk. So has the business been involved in any lawsuits, right? Is there any, I mean, sexual harassment was like a big thing. There's, you know, um, they had the sex harassment, you had a deadline to get training and so on. You have um, financial risk, right? So the business, the gym generates a million dollars in revenue. Is that legitimate? You know, can you verify that? Right? So there's a multitude of factors. Now, the other risk is we talked about human capital. Who says is that who says that your top coach, your top instructor is not gonna open up a gym, but it's gonna leave and open up right next door to you. Mm-hmm. So I think as a buyer, look at opportunity. You know, the, the the three areas you want to focus on the most is how much your business is generating, is there room for growth, and also what much risk is involved. And you know, I, I would think I, I would start from there. Yeah, it's all about the exposure and limiting that exposure. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, this is awesome. And we, we, so I like these conversations because this is what I have with my sellers as well. I have these conversations with my sellers because I tell them, you know, you, you know they're going to open, open you up like a, you know, a can of tuna fish. I mean, you're going to be exposing everything, <laughs> the good and the bad. Yeah, and you have, to be, you have to be prepared because <laughs> buyers are going to ask these questions. Yeah. You know, and sometimes you have to, I know you're an avid reader. I mean, you have to eat that frog. You have to get the bad yeah. stuff out first. Tell me all the, uh, I mean, I could tell you like, a multitude of stories that I've been through where clients to wait till last minute to, to expose it, to let you know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it can, it can be a deal killer. And something you have to get creative to work around those. Right. Right. It blows up the deal. I mean, it's a lot of times you'll, you'll find, not a lot of times, but every once in a while I've run into the fact that, the, the seller has like three sets of books, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, what's going on here? You got one for the IRS, one for himself and one for the seller and they're all different. And I'm like, yeah, this is, this is not legit, man. We yeah. Need to like yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. It's a tough, it, I mean, I, I, I feel, I really feel for them because it's, it's a tough because you are in your own world, you're running a business. And sometimes like, you know, who do you talk to as a business owner? Right. Who, who do you go to if you have any problems? And sometimes you can't go to your competitors, right? You want right. to something, you want to keep some stuff in house and you're tired of running to your spouse every time all the problems is happening. They don't, don't want to hear all, you know, I mean, right. even just pass, you know, you don't want to, 
you know, born in your family, all the stuff that's going on. And, you know, it's whole, the, the key thing is having the right advisors around you. It starts with, you know, having some professional advisor can give you the right, the right advice. So, but when they come to us, we want to know, you know, who's your attorney, who's your CPA, who's your planner. We start from there. We want to be introduced to them. We want to connect with them. Just to make sure you're surrounded by the right people. And so if you don't have a good representation, we can recommend someone that can help you out. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Well, Kyle, I got, I got to thank you for being on, man. This, this is like one podcast that flew by. <laughs> We're going to have to do more, man. Yeah, uh, it's so much you could talk about. Oh, so my God. Most, yeah. most we, could a, we could do a whole series probably. So this is great. I want to thank you for coming on. This is really good. I say hello to the guys over there for me. Will do. And, and I will see you at a uh, – Business Broker Association meeting. <laughs> it's always the second or third. Two, the next one is going to be in January. So you get a, You definitely get a. You definitely get an invite. But hey, Tom, I really love what you're doing. I mean, you've come a long way, man. I've looked at your website and I'm like, man, Tom is kicking butt. So um, I really appreciate the opportunity to be in your podcast. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very humbled. Uh, about it and franchise world is dear to me. I could actually, we didn't actually operate a franchise too as well. So, you know, all things franchise I love. And I, I think as a, as a business owner, if you don't have the necessary skill sets and you talk about risk tolerance, why not buy a franchise? It's a pro is a proven concept. It's a blueprint. Someone has actually, you talk about all the mystics, right? They already had all the mystics done already. Just jump right in. You you pretty much own your job. That's what it is. It's a business that you own that you can. That's, that's an asset you can grow. So franchise is a great great way to start. And you know, who you got to call Tom right to get a franchise. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And we'll talk more. You know, if you're looking to sell your business, you got to reach out to Kyle. Uh, he works with people. I mean, he's based in New York, but can really advise people really anywhere. Uh, so give Kyle a call. Uh, the Kyle's information will be on the FranchiseAcademy.com website, every, everything that you need, and uh, including we'll upload the 11 deadly mistakes that business owners uh, or business sellers yep. make. It's a great tool. It's a great tool. Yes, yeah, so we'll get that out to you guys. We, we have to go through every – next time we'll go through every single one of these. We <laughs> have a podcast so for each one. So much to talk about. <laughs> well, thank you, Thanks, my Tom. Good man. Thank it. you. Appreciate All right. It. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.